This is an Equity Mates Media podcast. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The best career advice that you are not getting is to invest. Hello and welcome to Your Ingle Company, an investing podcast striving to disrupt the norms in the finance industry. I'm Maddie and as always, I'm in some very good company with my co-host Sophie and today also our producer Sash. Hey Sash. Hey Maddie. <laughs> I, I, I was like, Sophie always goes first, you've got to wait my turn, can't jump in early. It's hard with three people, I'm not sure when to speak. <laughs> now we have recently opened the lines to our YRGC community on Instagram at YRGC podcast to ask us anything about investing and also about ourselves. And our wonderful producer, Sash, has collated the questions and she is going to be putting them to us today. I'm so excited. I'm so ready to find out all these details that, you know, both about investing that I've been wanting to know, but also about you two, because we've been working together for about six months and there's still stuff that I don't know about I'm you. I'm kind of nervous. I'm You're excited. Me nervous. <laughs> but before we get into today's episode, we would like to acknowledge and pay respects to the Wondry people of the Kulin Nation, who are the traditional owners of this land. We pay our deepest respects to the elders, past and present, and to the next generation who we hope to create a different future for. So thanks for having me today, guys. I know that I'm a bit of an interloper. Like you normally, it's just a, a two person thing. But, um, as you said, I thought it would be a great time to take this opportunity to ask you a couple of burning questions that obviously the community has and also I do. So we're going to be doing this across two weeks. The first uh, episode today, I'm going to be asking you all our burning investing questions. And then next week, we can go more into the like personal question side. So I'm giving you a bit of time to just work (laughs) out how much you want to reveal what's going on. (laughs) But um, are you ready? Are you ready to answer all our community questions? Let's do it. So the first question that we had from our community is some brokers let you buy partial US shares. Does this mean you don't really own them? I think this is a really great question because I know personally that I own a few things through stake and I just put in a money number. Like I think I put in like 1000 and so it allocated me like 4.65 shares of something and I didn't bother to kind of think about what that meant. I just was happy for the order to be fulfilled of however much I could buy for that thousand. So what does that actually mean when it's, when I've got those partial shares? Yeah. So I think you are referring to fractional share investing there, but I wanted to step it back really quickly to remind everyone of the difference between chess and custodian model. So chess sponsorship means that you're holding the shares in your name and to do that, you receive a HIN number and the shares are associated with your HIN, which is your personal sort of identification number. On the other hand, you have the custodian model and that means you don't own the shares directly in your name, but they're held under custodian for you. 
So the way I understand it is that all Australian brokers that have US share trading on it, whether it's fractional or not, which is what you were talking about before, Sash, they are held actually on a custodian model. So that just means that they're held on trust and you are, and this is like legal terms jargon, definitely not our domain, but it means that you're the beneficial owner and not the legal owner. Yeah, so when it comes to the fractional shares, meaning you might own part of a share and not the whole share, it means that you've got that custodian, the person that owns all of the shares on behalf of everyone, and then that's why they can break it up under that custodian model. It's not like in the chess model when you actually own the shares that, you know, Sophie owns half a share and Maddie owns the other half of the share. In this one, the custodian owns everything, and then that's why they can break it up. So you you don't own them under your name, but you still own them through the custodian model. I just want to ask you both, a lot of people get worried about not having a hen and stuff, but these companies like Australia has a lot of paperwork and like systems that to be a broker, you have to be proving that you're lodging people's names and you know, if a broker did go under That's a risk that I hear people are worried about all the time, but we do live in a country where there are rules and regulations to be in place in case that happens. Is that right? Yeah, I think it's a really interesting one because, you know, I think they say that a custodian has never gone under, but I think it really is personal preference. I feel like in the last year or 18 months, there's been so many things that have happened that people have said would never happen. And I don't mean to like create fear, but I guess it's not like I hold all my shares through a HIN and through the chess model. And I feel kind of nervous to explore the custodian model. So if I know you invest sometimes through Superhero, which is custodian, but I guess for me, it's like they say it's never happened. It would be a first time ever event. But I guess for me, I'm kind of like, well, that would still happen. But that being said, I learned today that like when I thought that my US shares were chess, they're actually their custodian model. So all of a sudden I was like, oh, that actually kind of, you know, to know that I'm already doing it kind of just made me feel more comfortable about it. I don't know. I'm I'm going through my own sort of self battle at the moment. <laughs> yeah, I think it's important to note that around the world, most brokers would use the custodian model and Australia, uh, more brokers in Australia use the chess model. So some people do say there's risk in it. Um, And as Maddie said, it's personal preference. Okay. So it really, it's what you guys say all the time, which is do your own research and make sure that you have a good gauge of your own risk profile, which I think is the perfect segue into our next community question, which is thoughts on, (laughs) now I don't know this one, Cardano or Doge? (laughs) Cardano. Cardano? And also your thoughts on the general crypto climate. I mean, (laughs) I just feel like it is the thing that, that people talk about now, you know, five years ago, everyone had a podcast. 10 years ago, everyone had a garage band and thought they were the next Nirvana. Now everyone thinks they're a crypto broker. <laughs> like, what do you, what do you guys think about it? I think my first thoughts with crypto is always, you know, if you have the risk tolerance for it and you've done your research and you're happy with your research, then absolutely go for it. I have a lot of friends who are very bullish on crypto. Um, personally, you know, Cardano is, 
I mean, Cardano is a smaller crypto. Dogecoin, I think, is a bit of a, a meme crypto. <laughs> to the moon. Um, I think you can't really make predictions about crypto because who knows what's going to happen. Tomorrow it could so drop volatile. by 50%. And then, yeah, it's so volatile. If you do your research and you listen to podcasts about crypto and watch YouTube and feel comfortable with it, then totally jump in. You've got a bit of spare cash to play with. Why not? But we're not experts on the field. And personally, for me at the minute, Dogecoin is way too volatile <laughs> for me to jump into it. <laughs> yeah, look, I'm just going to reiterate everything Sophie just said because it's not an area that I'm comfortable with. It is an area that I want to learn more about, but I haven't yet invested the time um, into learning about it. And it's just not something that I'm comfortable with. So I am yet to invest in any kind of crypto. <laughs> I think that's really, those are really great answers and it's clear it's not going anywhere, but obviously the coins and the different names are going to change over and we can all just like kind of sit back and watch and see how how it emerges. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a, it's an interesting space because like the use case for crypto, especially in developing nations and things like that, I think is super interesting. So I definitely want, want to learn more about it. I just, I haven't done it yet. (laughs) Uh, Okay, your next question, third question. I don't know who this is from, so let's call them anonymous. But they've said, I am investing through raise and self-wealth. Are there reasons to consolidate all of my investing? So can I just clarify, raise is like a micro-investing app where it takes little amounts out from your main bank account on a weekly or monthly or however you've set it up basis. And self-wealth is more of a like a new style broker in the style of like superhero and stake and comsec. Because self-wealth is chess sponsored, but yeah, it's more of like your general online broker platform. So we're kind of saying that raise, which is like maybe something that's happening passively behind the scenes. And then self-wealth is something that you're doing actively. And this person just wants to know whether they should bite the bullet and just put them all together. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just completely personal preference. Like I know someone who uses raise as more of a savings tool because it automatically deducts amounts from their debit account you know, each, is it month or I'm not a hundred percent sure how it works, but then others use it as a way to actually get into investing and get comfortable with investing. And which is a really, really great way to get into it as well. I think any way that you want to use a platform is totally fine. I guess it's just like, as long as you feel like, you know, what's going on with your investments is like quite important. So as long as you feel like you can kind of keep an overview and know what's going on, then you can use as many platforms as you like. Two points that I would say about, you know, when considering a micro-investing platform, and this is actually a really relevant conversation because I was having this with a friend the other day, but you've got to think, she was saying, you know, should I invest in ETFs or should I, you know, use something like Raise or Spaceship? And I was saying that one of the points you really need to think about is the fees, because if you have something like Raise, which is a $3.50 a month fee, um, and let's say you're, you know, which translate to like $42 a year. And let's say you're putting $50 a month into raise. So you can automatically say every 15th of July, August, whatever, September, take out 50 bucks and put it straight into my raise account. And then it also deducts off um, your purchases as well. But if you're putting in 50 bucks a month, that equates to $600 a year. And so you need to make sure you're making at least about an 8% return over the year, because otherwise you're not actually getting back the fees that you've paid. So 50 bucks might be a really small amount, or it might be a really large amount to someone. But when using those micro investing apps, just make sure that you are outperforming what you're paying in the fees. 
Yeah, I do think the difference between micro-investing and investing yourself on the brokerage platform is quite interesting. I mean, we really advocate for, I guess, investing outside of micro-investing because it really helps you to sort of get that good learning experience. You know, micro-investing, you choose a risk profile and the platform will invest on your behalf into sort of a bunch of asset classes based on your own risk profile, which is great. And it's a really good way to get comfortable with your money being in the stock market. But I guess with an investing platform like SelfWealth or any of the other platforms out there, you know, you get to go and do the research yourself and you get to pick stocks or ETFs yourself and actually take the step of investing. And then you can, you know, follow the news, follow the company and, you know, understand how the economic conditions around you are influencing your investments. I think it just makes you far more aware. And I think, you know, we often talk about having a bit of skin in the game is just the best way to learn and the best way to help you get, you know, inspired about investing. Um, and it can really sort of enrich your investing experience. So I think it depends on sort of what stage you're at, what your interests are and how much time you're willing to commit. I think there are definitely benefits of both, but we definitely love hearing when people sort of take that next step, get out of the macro investing and are able to sort of really get started investing on their own more to say. So it sounds like you're both saying, and this isn't financial advice, but like that as long as you're aware of like the need for which which particular platform, like if you're feeling like there's still a psychological hurdle for you to get involved in the market, then think about what's going to be easier for you to get your toe in the water, so to speak, but be really aware of those factors as fees and whether, you know, having skin in the game does help you as a potential investor to get, to be actively involved. Maybe you should Absolutely. just run this podcast, Ash. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm just trying to summarize. Um, <laughs> Nailed it. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. So next question, which I think is super relevant. I mean, we've got a couple of months up our sleeve till the next tax time, but you might also be looking at your previous one, but someone's asked, what information do I need to keep records of to make my tax time easier? Yeah, this is a good one. And we have a whole episode on tax. So definitely go listen to that one if you haven't yet. But I think a really good point when thinking about tax is the ATO only really cares about your investing in shares or ETFs when you turn a profit. So either when you get capital gains, which is, you know, selling your shares or ETFs and making a profit from that, or 
when you get dividends, which is a form of income from holding a share or ETF. So to be aware of if you are making any kind of profit, that's the figure that you're going to need to put into your tax return. If you've bought something that doesn't have any dividends and you're just holding for the long term, it's very unlikely that you'll have to really put anything into your tax return for that. Um, but Mads and I have said in the tax episode, any documentation that you get, hold on to it. If it comes in the mail, take a photo of it and chuck it into a you know folder on your phone so that's easy to see. I think the main documents that you want to kind of have is you know the record of your sale or purchase, dividend statements, uh, any records of any dividend reinvested under a dividend reinvestment plan, and then any other annual tax documents um, that you get for unit trusts such as ETFs. Yeah, I think Emma said in our tax episode that she loves nothing more as an accountant than when people come to her with all of their documents. Like, it's just like such a treat. But yeah, definitely just don't do what I did when I started investing, which was just get the letters and chuck them out. (laughs) Would would not recommend that. (laughs) No, that's not financial advice. (laughs) That is financial advice. Don't chuck out your documents. (laughs) I would say... um, the best thing I ever did was just get an accountant. <laughs> like I've got to say, Such like I did my own tax for years. And then the year I was like, you know what, I'm going to pay the couple hundred bucks to go get someone else to do it. And then she got me a bigger tax return. And I was like, oh, maybe I should have done this in the first place. <laughs> Not tax advice. Not tax <laughs> get advice. Get an accountant. <laughs> a good accountant can really hold your hand and make you feel better about it. So I am all for outsourcing my problems and tax is one of them. <laughs> your accounting fees are also tax deductible. Exactly. So you can put that in your deductions, which is great. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So this one um, is a bit more personal, I think. What are your investment plans? Do you automate with Raise or Superhero or do you stock pick in every period? Now, I'm going to preface this with saying, This is definitely just going to be Maddie and Sophie's personal opinions and you should not take this as advice (laughs) as as admirable as they are as people and as much as you might want to copy what they're doing, (laughs) you do want to make sure that you're making these decisions for yourself. But maybe tell us a little bit about your journey of like, did you start doing raise and did you start doing micro investing and what has been your journey in terms of stock picking? Yeah, so I've never used micro investing platforms, mainly just because when I started, I didn't even know that they existed. So I started by buying ETFs just with a broker that a friend recommended to me, which was Self-Wealth. And I haven't automated any of my investments. And I guess that's just because I actually really enjoy, personally, I really enjoy the process of reading and researching and I get quite excited when I get paid each month and I get to sit down and be like, oh, what am I going to put my money in this month? (laughs) Um, But I guess my strategy is I think I have four ETFs that I dollar cost average into. I think I have four ETFs that I dollar cost average into and then I buy into other stocks that I'm following and interested in and researching at the moment. I guess one thing that I am thinking about currently is that I'm quite conscious of kind of trying to consolidate my portfolio a little bit. I feel like I've gotten very excited recently about like lots of different stock picks that I'm intrigued by. And I feel like I've got a little bit of money in a lot of different things. And I'm starting to think whether maybe it would be better for me to have a little bit more higher conviction on my investments and 
you know, do more research and have more of a thesis around why I'm investing something just because I think it's easier to follow and to keep on top of and then put my money in those things rather than having, you know, lots of little investments on the side, which is what I'm kind of getting towards now. <laughs> so you're trying, you're moving out of your fast fashion stage yeah. into your capsural, oh, your capsule so wardrobe stage. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, I'm going to spend a bit more on pieces that I'm going to wear forever than like buying this sequin jacket from H&M that I I'm going to wear twice. I love how you're making me sound. I really appreciate <laughs> this perspective. <laughs> So producer does just gonna pump you up. Um, Sophie, what's your perspective on it? So I actually started with a micro investing platform a while ago, um, but when I kind of did the numbers, I realized that I probably wasn't getting that much gain out of it. So I moved into investing in stocks, and I was kind of like Maddie, just buying into a bunch of random different things. And I actually sat down one weekend a couple of months ago and I got a spreadsheet out and I picked four ETFs and I picked a couple of companies that I've got my conviction in. And now every month I kind of just pick one of those to put in. I don't have a schedule. I'm just like, that one feels good I need on to my paycheck. Day. <laughs> yeah, it's good. Sit down, really work out what you want to invest in. And then you don't, I love staying on top of things and I'll always, you know, jump into a new stock if I think it could be good and could add value to my portfolio. But otherwise it keeps it pretty stock standard. It's like automating but it's not actually automating because I love going in and doing the trade. (laughs) I think this is a really good question to ask because this is something I've been thinking about. How do you compare overlapping with ETF stocks? Because I think this is something when, especially I know editing the guys show and I'll hear someone talk about like the funds that they manage and I'll be like, that ETF sounds amazing. I want to go buy it. And then I look at the stocks I have and I'm like, oh, I struggle with the emotional side of it where I'm like, oh, I regret buying this one because now I want this one. (laughs) What's your perspective? I totally can relate to that. I actually have that really often. (laughs) I know. And so I think like, especially when there's themes and like, you know, active ETFs and like thematic investing is becoming such a big thing. And so, yeah, I just want to hear your perspectives on um, how you guys make that judgment call. I think off off the back of like what I just said about sitting down and like working out some ETS to invest in, that was the easiest way for me to see whether I was overlapping or not. So you just spoke about like thematic investing. I was like, okay, I want a couple of different themes in my portfolio. And when you like put it out in a little spreadsheet, it seems a bit daunting, the spreadsheet. I know it's not for everyone. I mean, it can be a Word doc. It doesn't it have to be a, a word spreadsheet. Job. It can be a PowerPoint. Like, yes. honestly, show it to your housemates, do a Make niche a PowerPoint theme night, 100% on that. Um, but, yeah, if you can just kind of see, like, for example, I was looking at a couple of different ETS. One of them was, like, a U- U.S. companies, and then one of them was about, like, climate change. And I found, like, you know, the big um, S&P 500, like the SPY, has – Apple, Microsoft, Amazon. How do you say the company? NVIDIA. Yeah, I think so. (laughs) NVIDIA. And then I was like, okay, cool. That one looks cool. And then you got your sustainability leaders and the sustainability leaders is a beta shares one called Ethi. And that still has, you know, NVIDIA, Apple, because it's actually negative screening for fossil fuels and not like actual like climate change Mm. innovation necessarily. So when you kind of put it out, you can see quite easily that you're like, all right, I do want a sustainability one, but maybe not the ethy one. Maybe I'll try something like the Earth, the beta shares Earth. Just going to jump in and point out that when you're saying like, all these specific companies, you can find that out in your broker. You should, or the um, ETF website, you should be able to go in and download like an info pack that has the full listing. Is that right? Yeah. On the websites, it's super easy to access that information. And if you can't find that, then that's a 
that's not a good thing. And don't like, invest. You should definitely in be. <laughs> you should be investing in something where you can find out. Yes. Exactly what's under the hood, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, good. I think Just most checking. of the time they have like the top ten is re- the top ten holdings are super obvious on the website, and then you can normally like open up a PDF and it has all of the holdings. I guess the one thing I would say about this, because I was having this conversation with a friend last weekend and she was really stressed about investing in two ETFs that had overlapping holdings, but she was actually only talking about one or two companies. And I guess I was just trying to explain to her that like, there's not a problem with overlapping. Like it's called, we refer to it as concentration risk sometimes. Like it's not necessarily a bad thing. I think the important thing is that you're conscious of it and you know that you're holding, say, Microsoft in this ETF and that ETF. It doesn't mean that you can't do it because you might actually think that Microsoft is a really great share or a really great company and you're happy to increase your exposure to that company. It doesn't have to be a bad thing. What's important is that you're conscious of it so that if you don't want that added exposure, you can maybe say, okay, this one's not for me and let it go by. I feel like this next question is a really natural flow on from this, which is like, you know, you're sitting down at your table you've done your spreadsheet or your PowerPoint or your Microsoft Word thing. And, you know, there's always that wall you hit an hour, two hours, three hours into doing anything that's brain draining. And so this um, community member has written and said, I've just started researching ETFs and I've got analysis paralysis. And I totally understand what she's saying. How can I counter this? Do you guys have any tips or any tricks or like what you do to get over this? I mean, Soph and I have both talked about this. Like, we can totally relate. I only started investing, like, just over 18 months ago. And I remember so clearly sitting on the couch and trying to figure out what I was going to invest in and just being really overwhelmed because there are a lot of options and it can be really daunting. And, like, you get on this roll and then you hit this wall and you're like, what? Like, you're like, what is the difference? Why am I even bothering? And you just stop. But I guess... You know, the biggest thing that I would say is that just start like just, you know, if you if you have something that you're interested in and you have a few different options and you're not sure which is the best, like it just doesn't matter that much. Like start put like pick one of them and see how you go. And if it's, you know, even if you just put a small amount in so that you feel comfortable, that is absolutely fine. But I think what I just found the easiest thing was actually starting. And once I did, you get on such a roll and it becomes so much easier. And 100% the hardest thing is putting your money in that first investment that you do. And especially with some of the big themes of ETFs, let's just ETFs, let's just say you're going with a country or like a region. A lot of them invest in very similar companies, the, the ETFs broadly. So you're really not, it's not a huge, there's no real pursuit of perfection when it comes to choosing an ETF that's in a broad theme because overall they're investing in pretty similar stuff. So, you know, you can look out for the fees and maybe try to go for a lower fee option. But at the end of the day, like if it's a big broad theme that you just want to start with one, as Maddie said, it's very likely that a lot of the big ones will be investing in very similar stuff. So with all of this in mind, Someone has asked, do you believe there'll be a market crash oh, no. <laughs> or a correction? <laughs> I um, and I think I should say this in like, you know, obviously there was one in March last year with the pandemic. And I'm going to just like, especially working in this space and like doing podcasts in this space. Like, I think a lot of people in March last year were really prepared for this to be pain that was going to last for a lot longer than we experienced. And so... This seems to be something on the 
in the back of lots of different people's minds. So what are your kind of thoughts on approaching volatility in the stock market and like as relatively new investors, like what do you tell yourselves? Because we know there's going to be another crash. Like there has to be one, right? At because that's point, just what history tells lives. us. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and I'm not saying that as like, and everyone's going to lose all their money, but we know that there will be a correction and then we know we'll climb up again. Like that's what happens if you look at the last like hundred years of the stock market. But how do you two mentally prepare for that yourselves? And what have you told yourselves to kind of counteract that? And how have you found the last two years? Like, what are your thoughts on that? To be honest, like over COVID, and I know Maddie has a, a, a good story about this, but, you know, when you are investing and you go in with the mindset that you're holding it for, you know, until I'm like 50 or 60 years old, the crash is just a kind of a blip. Like I remember when the March crash did happen and I watched all the stocks that I had, like I was down by so much and I'd even bought them at cheap prices and I was like, I'm screwed. I've lost all this money. But at the end of the day, if you're in the mindset of, that you're going to hold for the long term. You just need to try and get comfortable with that volatility. And if you're applying the dollar cost averaging kind of perspective, you you can also win at that time as well by putting some money into the market and then making bigger gains. So I think it's just really all about the mental state of you're doing it for the long term and this will happen and it's probably likely to going to go back up again. And you just have to be comfortable with that. I've said before, (laughs) but I'll say it again, that I, yeah, started investing like not long before the crash due to COVID. And it was probably like one of the best lessons that I'll learn because like I finally had spurred up the courage to start investing and I put some money in and almost immediately it just went down by a long shot. And the most annoying thing was, was like, I remember chatting to my dad and being like, I'm going to start investing and I'd listened to the Equity Mates Get Started Investing series and I was feeling really good about it. And dad was like, oh, one of my mates says that this COVID thing, which at this point was like still only really in China. He was like, one of my mates says that this COVID thing is, you know, it's, it's everything's going to crash because of it. And I sat there and I was like, everyone always says that something's going to happen and there's never a right time to invest. And I was all on my high horse about it. And then like a month later, I was like, oh, damn it. But what it taught me was like, I put money in and immediately everything was super volatile and kind of scary. But I had told myself that I was going to follow this plan of putting this certain percentage of my income in every month. And I followed it. And now it's really paid off because what it meant was that I was still investing all throughout that period consistently. And now I've seen the gains because of the correction. I guess when I was just reflecting on then though, was that you know, it was all good and well for me to feel okay about that because I had a couple of thousand dollars in the stock market. You know, I had a, I had only just started and I had put a, you know, a little bit of money in that I was really comfortable with. So for that to go down, you know, it was a bit confronting. I think as I get further into my investing journey and I have more and more money invested, then maybe it would be a whole lot scarier if we had that kind of volatility again. But I think it was a great lesson because the same things will apply and I just need to follow the process and trust that over the long term, and we are lucky we have time on our side, over the long term it will be okay. Yeah, I know that um, I'm not a host of this podcast, but I was just going to say my experience was so similar to yours, Maddie. I'd been investing for a while, but I topped up 
in February 2020. And it had been the first time in a couple of years that I'd been like, I have a I have a bit of money and I'm going to go and re-put that money into my investments. The difference was that I didn't have as much in my emergency fund as I should have. And I was like, oh, nothing's going to happen. I can top that up over the next couple of months. It'll be okay. It's more important I get in the share market. And then COVID happened and I was faced with like needing that cash because I didn't know whether I was going to get laid off and I didn't know if I needed to fly home. And so my experience of it was there is a re- when people are like, make sure that you're comfortable with the money that you're putting in the stock market. Make sure that's money that you don't want to touch for five years. Make sure that, you know, you've got your emergency account, get your savings sorted first. That was like a really real world lesson for me of going you know, literally three weeks after I'd bought a top up of really safe shares that have bounced back. But I was like, I really want that money back. (laughs) I really want that back in my bank account. And, you know, all's well that ends well. But I think that was like a bit of a real world experience of going, actually, there's a reason people tell you these things. And there's a reason that people say this is money that you're going to lock away for a couple of years. So be prepared for that. I think there's a good point in there as well, Sash. Like I personally have, you know, really love start like kickstarting the investment journey and getting onto it every month. I want to invest more. But I recently took a step back and was like, well, I actually don't have enough in my emergency fund. I was just way too keen on putting money into the stock market. So I've stopped investing for a couple of months just so I can really like start to top that up. So it's okay to like start and stop once you're in the market at whatever point, you know, to make sure that your other money goals are also being fulfilled. Exactly. So... We're going to continue this like quiz because I'm really enjoying learning about you two, but we're going to continue next week. So make sure you tune in. Um, I'm going to be asking uh, Sophie and Maddie all the questions that they usually ask their guests, which is very exciting. But it's been such a pleasure. I'll let you tell us where people can get in touch with you. <laughs> You're what hosting social media now. handles? No, I'm not. I'm going, I'm going to hand, hand back over the nuts and bolts to you too, because I don't know them nearly as well as I should. <laughs> okay. Well, always jump onto our social media. You can find us on Instagram at YIGC podcast. Also our TikTok YIGC podcast. We've started to really jump on the trends and uh, show our personalities. <laughs> Lockdown is getting to us and TikTok is becoming a thing. So if you want to get on that, please get around us on TikTok because we need support. You can find us on Facebook. And so what is our Facebook page? YIGC investing podcast discussion group. You're going to, I feel like you've it's got it in the brain. Like we're really, we're, <laughs> we've improved. And if I didn't ask the question that you desperately wanted to ask Maddie and Sophie today, then do go along to their Facebook group because they're both in it regularly and they will definitely, well, I shouldn't promise that you'll definitely answer, but I know that they're always keen to talk to community members. So if there's something that I left off the list that you're like, I, I just want to know what they think of this, come on and hang out with us there. Easy. Nothing makes me happier than getting messages in our DMs or on the Facebook group. Every time someone posts on the Facebook group, I get a group, screenshot like, yes, on WhatsApp reply, like every go. time. You're like, did you see this question? Let's go. <laughs> and I'm like, Maddie, it's work hours. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> Until next time. Bye. You're in good company is a product of Equity Mates Media. All information in this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only. 
is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal or tax advice. The hosts of You're In Good Company are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equitymates website where you can find ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media and the hosts of Your In Good Company acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people together. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.